Thank you for listening to our Emmanuel Baptist Church podcast sermon series by Pastor Sean Cole. Emmanuel exists to display God's glory, declare God's gospel, and to disciple for God's great commission. If you have any questions about this message or would like more information about our church, you can visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean. And then I'm not up here to endorse Newt Gingrich. Don't, don't hear me wrong. I'm not up here to endorse any political candidate. But what I want to do is I want to draw your attention to how the personal lives of, of candidates have been in the news in Ireland. We know what's, what's happened to Herman Cain. And, and we know that Newt Gingrich has had two previous marriages, two previous affairs. He's married for a third time. That, that's the facts. But what's interesting about Newt Gingrich is that he, in recent years, has claimed to have converted to Roman Catholicism, and he's been very public about asking God for forgiveness for these indiscretions, and quote-unquote, he says he has repented. The word repentance seems to be a buzzword a lot lately in our political culture. So-and-so has repented. So-and-so has not repented. This, this word repentance has been thrown around a lot lately. And so this morning, I want to just ask a basic question. What exactly is repentance? You see, as we're taking um, a look at the Christmas season, getting ready to prepare for the arrival of King Jesus in Bethlehem, I want us to take a detour from the book of Acts. We've been looking at the book of Acts since September. Last week we stopped with the stoning of Stephen. It's an appropriate place to stop because the church in Jerusalem, as we'll see when we come back after the first of the year, is going to be forced out of Jerusalem into Judea and Samaria because of persecution. And so we'll come back to Acts after the first of the year. We're going to take a little three-week detour as we lead up to Christmas. And what I want us to do over the next three weeks, including today, leading up to Christmas morning is I want us to explore three responses or three attitudes of the heart, three truths that should motivate us this Christmas season. And here are the three things that we're going to look at over the next, the next few weeks. Today we're going to look at repentance. Next week we're going to look at joy. And then on Christmas morning, which is actually Sunday morning, we're going to look at gratitude. Now, when you think about Christmas, obviously joy is one of those big ones that people talk a lot about, joy to the world. Gratitude's another one, peace, hope, love. But when you think about Christmas, why in the world would I talk about repentance? I think repentance is one of the most misunderstood and probably mispracticed biblical truths in the Christian life. What exactly is repentance. I think it would do well for us this Christmas season as we prepare to think about this doctrine of repentance. And so first of all this morning, I want us to explore the need for repentance. Why in the world is it even important? Is there is there even a biblical command to repent? One of the first words out of Jesus's mouth in his earthly ministry was to repent. Now, we will turn to the Scripture later on in my message. This is more of a topical message, and so we're going to be looking at a lot of Scriptures, and so most of these will be up on your screen. But Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God, saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. One of the very first words out of Jesus' mouth was repent. 
Repent and believe the gospel. It's a command to be obeyed. All people everywhere are commissioned, commanded to repent. In Matthew chapter 4, verses 16 and 17, it says this, The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It was part and parcel of Jesus' message. Repent. The very last words that Jesus spoke to his disciples before he went back up to heaven involved repentance. In Luke chapter 24, verses 46 and 47. Jesus said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in His name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. All throughout the Bible, all throughout Jesus' ministry, there's the call to repent. It's not optional. It's not an add-on that you add on to the Christian life. If you tell someone to trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and you do not tell them to repent, you're only giving them half of the gospel. It may be helpful for us to understand what repentance is not. There's a lot of confusion out there about what repentance is. What is repentance not? Well, repentance is not feeling a sense of shame that you somehow disappointed a family member. That's not repentance. Repentance is not somehow fear of getting caught, fear of the consequences, fear of punishment. That's not repentance. Repentance is not going to a priest and doing penance and saying a few Hail Marys and getting absolution from a human mediator to somehow get your sins forgiven. That's that's, that's not repentance. Repentance is not giving up something for Lent as if I'm going to give up TV for a few weeks. Repentance is not an attempt at self-reform like you would do at New Year's where you make a New Year's revolution to somehow improve yourself. And repentance is not simply feeling sorry that you sinned. May I remind you that Esau felt sorry for his sin, but he did not repent. The rich young ruler felt sorry that he had a lot of wealth and went away sad, but he did not repent. Judas felt sorry for his sin, but he did not repent. Repent. So what is repentance? Before we dive into a biblical definition of repentance, I think we need to understand something. First of all, repentance is a gift that God in His sovereign grace has to give to you. You and I cannot repent unless God grants us repentance. It has to come as a gift. You cannot do it in your own power. You cannot do it in your own will. God in His gracious grace has to give you the gift of repentance. In Psalm chapter 80, verse 3, the psalmist says, Restore us, O God, let your face shine that we may be saved. Now he says, restore us. There's a Hebrew word you need to know. It's shuv. It means return. And really what the psalmist is saying here, really it would be translated, repent us. Repent us, God. Restore us. Return to us. God, you must cause us in your grace to repent. God in his grace must give us the sovereign grace, the power, the supernatural ability to be able to repent. Now we see this in the New Testament. A few weeks ago we saw this, and I didn't exactly draw your attention to it, but I want you to see in Acts 5.31. 
God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. God in his grace gave repentance to the nation of Israel as a gift. Those Jewish people that came to Christ at Pentecost in that early church, God granted to them repentance. He gave them the ability to come to faith in Christ. Now, God did that also for the Gentiles. We'll see this in a few weeks as we get to uh, the, the rest of the book of Acts. But in Acts chapter 11, verse 18, when they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God saying, then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. In other words, All of us, before we were Christians, were dead in our sins. We were lost, we were in bondage, we were spiritually dead, and in and of ourselves, we could not break ourselves out of that bondage. God had to come to us first in His grace. The Holy Spirit had to invade our lives. God has to give us the gift of repentance. God has to give it to you. Now, in 2 Timothy 2, 24-25, it says this, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. Do you see it there? God may perhaps grant them repentance. He may perhaps not. That's up to God. Whether God's going to grant repentance, it's up to God. But if repentance is going to happen, God's got to give it. God's got to be the one that grants repentance repentance to lost sinners who in and of themselves cannot repent without the Holy Spirit doing a work of drawing them to the Father. So what in the world does it mean to repent? If you're like me, I grew up with a lot of confusion because when I grew up, I did not hear a lot about repentance. Repentance is not talked about a lot in our culture. What exactly is repentance? Now, if you do a study of the Hebrew words in the Old Testament that talk about repentance, and you do a study of the Greek words in the New Testament that give you the definition of repentance, and you bring these together and and do a huge word study, you find out that repentance involves three primary issues. There's three things involved in repentance. A change of mind, a change of heart, and a change of will. It involves the mind, it involves the heart, it involves the will. First of all, repentance starts with a change of mind. The Greek word metanoeo means to change your mind. It means that you come to the conclusion in your mind, you intellectually believe that you've sinned against God, that you are helpless against God, that your sin is an offense to God, and you have your mind so affected by God that you begin to think differently about yourself. You realize that your sin offends God. You realize that you are a sinner. You call sin for what it is. And so it starts with a change of mind. Your, your mind is convinced. We looked at that passage back in First Timothy, a repentance that leads to a knowledge of the truth. You have knowledge that what you're doing is sinful and who you are is sinful. So it starts with the change of mind, but then it also involves a change of heart. It involves the emotions. It involves a deep-seated remorse, a deep-seated grieving, a sorrow that you have personally offended this God. Not just a knowledge that you've, that you've offended God, not just a knowledge that you've sinned, but it leads to a hatred of that sin. It leads to a remorse of that sin. It leads to grieving that sin. What does Paul tell us in 2 Corinthians chapter 7? Verses 9 through 10. Paul gives us some great information here about true repentance. He says, As it is, 
I rejoice not because you were grieved, because, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you fell to godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Whereas worldly grief produces death. Now there's such a thing as worldly grief. There's such a thing as being sorry for your sin that doesn't lead to repentance. You may be sorry you got caught. You may be sorry that, that the consequences are uncomfortable. You may have, uh, the sin may bother you for a season, but it doesn't go beyond that. Paul's saying there's such a thing as worldly sorrow and godly sorrow. The godly type of sorrow that God works in your heart leads to repentance. So first of all, it involves a change of mind. You come to understand the truth intellectually that you are a sinner, that you've sinned against God, that what you're doing is offensive. Then it moves to your heart to where you begin to feel the remorse. You feel the pain. You feel the sadness that you have for the sin. But then it takes it to one step further. It's a change of will. It's a change of will. Acts 8.22. We'll look at this when we get back to Acts after the first of the year. But Peter is speaking to Simon Magus and he says, Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven. Now, Peter looks Simon Magus in the face and says, Repent of a particular sin. What was the sin that Simon Magus was doing? He was trying to buy the power of the Holy Spirit with gold and silver from the apostles. And, and Peter says, You need to repent of that specific sin. And so it involves a will where you make a resolute decision that you are going to turn from that sin and you're not going to do that sin anymore. So let's review the three here. It involves a change of mind. You intellectually come to the knowledge that what you're doing is sinful. It affects your mind. You have a change of mind about who you are, a change of mind about how it's offended God, and then it moves into your heart. You have a change of heart. You feel remorse. You feel grief. You feel bothered. And then it moves to a change of will where you actually do something about it. You actually change. You actually turn. You seek mercy and forgiveness and cleansing in Jesus Christ. And again, this is a work that God does in your heart. God has to grant this repentance to you. But we are the ones that actually repent. We change our minds. We have our heart changed. We make the decision. Now, repentance is not what saves you. Christ saves you. Repentance is evidence or fruit that you have been saved. Now, Wayne Grudem, a lot of you are familiar with Wayne Grudem. We, we've read his systematic theology here a lot. Uh, this is how he defines it. Repentance is a heartfelt sorrow for sin, a renouncing of it, and a sincere commitment to forsake it and to walk in obedience to Christ. If you've truly repented, there's going to be a change. It's going to be evident. You don't just feel sorry for sin and then move on. You feel sorry for sin and then your behavior changes. You turn from the sin. I, I've used this illustration before. It's as if you are, uh, this wall back here is sin. And this is where you're headed. You're heading towards sin. Your life is engaged with sin. You make a decision to turn from that sin and to turn towards Christ. It, it's a 180 degree of turning. That's what the word repent means. To come to Christ. Now, this command to repent is all throughout the scriptures. You see it in Isaiah chapter 55, verses 6 through 7. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon his name while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord 
that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Do you see the imagery that's used here in this passage of scripture? Seek God, turn from your wicked ways, return to the Lord. And what do you find? Here's the great thing about repentance. When a sinner repents, you find compassion. You find the arms of the Savior open wide. It says he will abundantly pardon. So when you repent, you find forgiveness. You find grace. You find mercy. Ezekiel 33, 11. God says, say to them, as long as I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live turn back turn back from your evil ways for why will you die O house of israel do you see do you see god pleading with sinners turn return come back hosea chapter 6 verse 1 come let us return to the lord for he has torn us that he may heal us he has struck us down that he will bind us up. Shuv is the Hebrew word there. Turn, return, come back, repent, come find healing, come find compassion when you turn from your sins and come back to the Lord. Joel chapter 2, verses 12 through 13. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God. For he's gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And he relents over disaster. Aren't you thankful that God is slow to anger? If God had been quick to judge or to punish us, where would most of us be in this room if God was not slow to anger? He's a God that's merciful and compassionate, but he calls us to return. Acts chapter 26 verse 20. But declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. It's the message of the book of Acts. Repent and turn to God. Romans chapter 2 verse 4. Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Why does God relent in bringing disaster in your life? Why is God patient with you? Why does God show you that kindness? It's not so that you can keep on committing the sin over and over again, thinking that I love sinning, God loves forgiving, it's a great relationship. Let's just keep this thing going. That's not why it's there. God shows patience so that you and I would repent. So that we would come back. 2 Corinthians 12, 21. I fear that when I come again, my God may humble me before you. And I may have to mourn over many of those who have sinned earlier and have not repented of their impurity, sexual immorality, and sensuality that they practice. Paul's addressing sexual sins here, saying that he's praying that that these people would repent of particular sins. Now, Repentance is not just a one-time thing you did at conversion. Yes, there came a point in time where you repented for the very first time. You turned from your sins for the very first time. But repentance is to be an ongoing, continuous lifestyle response of the Christian. Now, how do you get that, Pastor Sean? I'm glad you asked. You didn't ask, but that's all right. I'm up here speaking. You can't interrupt me. So here we go. Every time, almost every time, the word repent is used in the Greek New Testament. It is in a present active verb. 
A present active verb means continuous, ongoing action. In other words, you could be translating that word, keep on continually repenting. Keep on continually repenting as a lifestyle. And so as Christians, those who have trusted Christ for salvation, we are to be living lifestyles that continually repent. We are to be continual repenters. We, 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 we come to that point where we, we realize intellectually that we have sinned against God. We, we emotionally feel the travail of sinning against God. And then, and then we, with our wills, turn from that sin and turn back to God in repentance. Keep on repenting. Now, there's another beautiful metaphor. I love this metaphor that Jesus gives for the repentance. It's found in Matthew 18, 3 through 4. Jesus is bringing the kids to him and he's got the kids on his lap and, and just like we saw the kids up here and, and it's cute to see the kids do goofy things. I mean, what, what would a Christmas program be without kids doing cute things that kids do, right? It was cute to see that. But listen to what Jesus says. Truly I say to you, unless you turn, okay? The King James may say, unless you are converted. Some translations say converted. Unless you are converted, unless you turn, unless you repent and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now, in your translations, you don't get the full effect of what this verb is, turn, but it's in a passive voice. And in the passive voice means you're not the one doing the turning. God is the one doing it. You're a passive recipient of God's doing that. So again, God is granting the repentance. God must turn you. God must convert you. God must work that repentance. But what metaphor does he use here for repentance? He talks about a baby, a child, an infant, a helpless little baby. What can a little baby do for herself? Not much. How many of you here have little children, little babies? Do they change their own diaper? Yeah, we'd wish, right? Do they feed themselves? Can they take care of themselves? No, a little baby, an infant, is totally helpless. It's totally clueless. It's totally dependent upon someone else. And Jesus is saying that's what it means to be, re- to be repenting. You come to the point where you realize, like a child, I am humbled, I am helpless, I am hopeless, my only hope is in Jesus. I can't do this myself. All I've got to do is trust in Christ alone. And Jesus says, that's who's going to enter the kingdom of heaven. One who humbles himself like a little child. One last place where we see repentance. And I want you to turn in your Bibles to this. So if you've got a copy of God's Word, let's look at Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15 is a famous passage of Scripture. Jesus tells three stories, but it's really one big story. But we often focus on the th- there are three stories brought together. There are three parables. The parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, the parable of the lost son. We often focus on the parable of the lost son, but all three of these are one huge story that Jesus tells. So three stories in one. And we see illustrated for us in these stories the beauty of repentance. So Luke chapter 15, verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So here's the deal. Jesus was known for being a friend of sinners. He would eat with sinners. He would reach out to sinners. He would rub shoulders with sinners. And the religious people didn't like that. And so they're trying to accuse Jesus. Man, this guy, he goes into the house of sinners. This guy's always around sinners. This guy's going to corrupt himself. So Jesus tells a parable. You want to know what God really thinks about sinners? Let me tell you how God thinks about sinners. 
So Jesus is going to tell three stories. Here's parable. He told them this parable, and it doesn't really stop. The whole parable is all three stories are really one parable. We often focus on the third one, but here we go. So he told them this parable. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he's lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that's lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends, his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Now here's the point of Jesus' parable. It's the same point in all three stories. God gets excited when sinners repent. There's rejoicing, there's celebration, there is joy when a sinner repents. Now here's the next story. That's the parable of the lost sheep. Here we have the parable of the lost coin. Verse 8. Or what woman having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Same theme. There is joy in heaven. There's great rejoicing. There's celebration when a sinner repents. When a sinner turns from their sin, they are helpless, they are hopeless, they realize like a baby that they can't do anything, and they come to Christ alone for salvation and say, intellectually, I have sinned, in their heart they feel it, I have sinned, in their will they say, I'm going to turn from my sin and embrace Christ, there's great joy in heaven. Now we get to the famous story, the parable of the lost son. And you guys know the story. So what do you think is going to be the theme of this one? Well, let's keep reading. Verse 11. And he said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that's coming to me. Now, that would have been a slap in the face in that culture. You, you didn't wait until... You, you waited until your dad was dead before you got an inheritance. You didn't go up to him while he was still alive, especially as the secondborn, and ask for your inheritance. It was very disrespectful to his father. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the paws that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself... He said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father. I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven, and before you I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And as he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion, and ran, and embraced him, and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven, and before you I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. I want you to notice something in verse 17. What does it say? When he came to himself. Think about that for a moment. 
when he came to himself, when the knowledge hit his mind that he had sinned against his Father and against heaven intellectually, and then when he began to feel the travail in his soul, the remorse, the guilt, the pain, the sorrow, emotionally, what did he do? Did he stop and say, well, I feel really bad about sinning against my dad. I'll stay here. No, what did he do? He got up and he went back. It's a picture of repentance right there. Intellectually, emotionally, in his will, this young man repented. And what happens when he repents? What happens when he goes back to the father that he slapped in the face, the father that he's disrespected? What does he expect? He says, Father, I've sinned against you. I expect to just be a servant. What does the dad do? The dad comes running towards him. Now, you would not dare run as a good Hebrew man in that culture. It was unheard of to run, especially to a son that had, that had, had violated your, your respect. And so he comes and he puts the, the, the ring on his finger and the robe on him and he throws a party. And so this is a picture of a celebration when a sinner when a sinner repents and comes home and it's amazing when you think of the god of the universe father almighty the creator of all things has great joy in his heart when sinners repent that's an amazing thing when you repent and here's the problem a lot of people feel like i'm not going to repent because if i go back to god i feel bad and i'm not going to draw near to god and i feel guilty so the last thing i want to do is i want to go back to god i want to continue in my ways and we play this little game in our in our minds thinking that i really don't want to repent god's not going to accept me god's not going to have me i've sinned too far i'm so guilty and what we end up doing is we never repent and we stay where we're at and we don't realize that the moment that we do repent we find arms open wide in joy and compassion and mercy. So if you're here this morning and you have not repented, the joy for you this Christmas season is that when you turn from your sins and you come to Christ, you find mercy, joy, forgiveness. What does 2 Peter 3, 9 say? The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance maybe god's been very patient with you this morning and you're not here by accident and under the preaching of this word this morning you've been pierced with the whole idea of repentance i've not repented i've not come to the knowledge in my mind that what i'm doing is sinful And I haven't changed my mind about that. I haven't had the depths of my heart, the remorse, the guilt, the feeling of sorrow over my sin. I haven't experienced it. And I haven't actually willfully turned from my sin and trusted in Christ. What do you need to repent of this morning? Are there some attitudes that you're harboring in your heart that you need to repent of? Deep down in your heart, you know you've been disobedient to the Lord. What are you clinging to this season that's more important to Jesus? Let me just say this, and I, will, I won't say it again. I believe as a nation, let's just talk about nationally here for a moment. As a nation, we need to repent of the idolatry of materialism and consumerism that plagues this Christmas season. It is sick. And it needs to start with God's people. Let us lead the way and being a repenting people. And if we have idolatry and consumerism and materialism and all this junk in our hearts this Christmas, let us repent of that and not bow to the idol of Walmart. And I'm sorry if you work at Walmart, but you know what I'm saying. 
or Best Buy or Amazon.com. You fill in the blank, whatever idol it is this Christmas season you're bowing. The Westminster Confession says this, and I love it. As there's no sin so small, but it deserves damnation, so there is no sin so great that it can bring damnation upon those who truly repent. Even the smallest little sin will send you to hell. But there's not the greatest sin that can't be forgiven if you repent of your sins. Some of you this morning need to repent for the very first time. You've never repented. You've never trusted Christ. You've never surrendered your life to Jesus. You've never come to the conclusion through the power of the Holy Spirit working in your heart and your mind that you are a sinner guilty before God and if you were to be judged based upon your works, your righteousness, whatever, you would be found wanting and lacking and on the day of judgment, you would spend eternity in a place called eternal conscious torment in hell. You need to repent this morning. For those of us that are believers, Christians, are we those that practice continual repentance do we keep short accounts with god are we continually a repenting people let this christmas season be a season of repentance a season where there's joy in heaven when a sinner comes home to his heavenly father i'm going to ask you to bow your heads this morning First words out of Jesus' mouth, repent and believe the gospel. The last, one of the last words out of Jesus' mouth, that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be preached to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. Acts, repent. The church for the past 2,000 years, repent. Pastor Sean this morning is telling you the same thing. Repent. Have your mind changed about your sin and yourself? Have your heart broken over your sin and yourself? And then actually turn. Make the decision to do that. And again, it's only something God can do. God has to grant it. But cry out to Him for help. And here's the promise from Scripture. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So would you call upon Jesus this morning if you've never called upon Him in your life? Would you come home? Would you be like the prodigal son? For those of us that are believers, the message is very clear this morning. Are we repenting? Is there a sin in our life right now that we need to turn from and find grace and find healing and find forgiveness and find mercy in the arms of our Savior? Spend just a few moments in prayer this morning and repent and believe the gospel. Father, only you know what's in the depths of our hearts this morning. I cannot peer into the souls of this congregation, but Holy Spirit, I trust that you do and you are even at this moment.
And Holy Spirit, I trust that you are a powerful, sovereign God and you can break through all resistance and sovereignly come and grant people repentance this morning. Even the worst of sinners, Lord, those that out there think that they've done too bad, too, too evil, too wicked. Like the prodigal son, would they come to themselves, would they come to their senses and come home for the very first time? Lord, for the rest of us that are believers, would we be brokenhearted over our sin? Would we not become so jaded? Lord, if there's any idols in our heart, the weeds of idols that are infesting our hearts, would you clean those out, Lord? Lord, especially at this Christmas season, will we not be materialistic? Will we not be consumeristic? Lord, it's rank idolatry and it's displeasing to you. Would you break our hearts over that? Would you turn our eyes upon Jesus this morning? That we would look full on his wonderful face and the things of this earth would grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. I pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand and we're going to...